Well, welcome to the Afterwards Podcast, a show where we talk a little bit more about the teaching pastor's message from the previous week and kind of uncover some of the things that they talked about in the passage of scripture that they covered, and then also maybe some of the things that didn't make the message. And today I am joined by Pastor James and Pastor Tony. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Glad to be here. Are you excited that we're doing your first run here on this podcast? I am. This this is a great idea. Good. It's going to really serve our church. I agree. And also I had like some like uh, of the typical post sermon, like remorse, like on Sunday afternoon of like, oh man, I should have said that. And so I was like, Ooh, I'll be able to say it to Jason Absolutely. in the podcast here today on Sunday. On and Tuesday, to so. several hundred people who have listened. So thank you for all of you who have downloaded the first episode that we've had over 330 people who are listening to this. So hopefully they continue listening. We're really setting the bar high. So hopefully we, the three of us don't ruin that trend. I'm <laughs> counting on the two of you. I'm sure that you're going to triple. I'm sure you're going to triple. Fine. That would be amazing. I would be really <laughs> excited about that. So one of the interesting things about weeks where we have live messages, at each of the venues is that if you only attend one venue, you don't always get to hear the other messages. Now we do put them in the podcast feed. There is a separate podcast feed called messages that you can subscribe to. I'll make sure that there's a link to it. But before we go super far, I would love for each of you, we'll start with you, Tony, to kind of just, what's the 30 second overview of the message that you gave in 30 minutes? Yeah, so the apostle Paul in this passage, he's recounting some severe affliction that he went through, that he highlights that he went through in Asia. And it was really severe that we see he despaired of his life. And as he reflects on this, uh, he also talks about how that led him to trust in God more than it ca- caused him to trust in himself. And I use that in my sermon as an opportunity for, to, to really challenge us to think about areas of our lives where we need to be trusting in God more uh, than ourselves. And also, I love how Paul talked about just the power of prayer. Uh, in his ministry, but also in his life. So uh, really my sermon hit on on those two big points of really affliction and suffering, but also uh, the power of prayer and community. And James? Yeah, I think very similar. Um, sort of the, the trajectory that um, I walked folks through um, is, A, there will be affliction. Um, and then um, kind of the two... Uh, tools that Paul equips his readers with to handle affliction. One is prayer, as Tony mentioned, that prayer helps. And the other one is remembering where your hope lies. And because of those two um, tools, I think Paul talks about how, um, as Tony mentioned there, um, we can uh, grow in our trust for the Lord rather than trusting in ourselves. And sometimes it's only through affliction, only through trial, only through suffering um, that we, that that trust becomes real because it needs to. Um, And so affliction uniquely equips us or forces us or calls us upon us um, because it's just, it's just this helpless feeling of like, man, I'm outside of myself. Um, and Paul uses very familiar language there that we see in our culture a lot. He talks about how he was overwhelmed, um, that he, the, the despair, they, and I think we have a lot of people who frequently feel the weight of whatever kind of in their lives. And, and so I think it, 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 it really hit home with a lot of folks, um, uh, just the lang- even the language he used and it resonated with the folks in the room for sure. So 
before we dive super far into each of your messages, one of the things I wanted to sort of ask at the beginning was when we go through a series like this that is 27 weeks long and we're taking an entire book of the Bible and really unpacking very small pieces of that book at the same, you know, each week as pastors and as teachers, how do you sort of approach it when you're kind of like bouncing in for a very small piece of that overall big puzzle and then kind of like thinking about how that fits into sort of the broader picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first on that one. So, I mean, a lot of that comes with experience. That's kind of been my role for a long time is just sort of inserting myself into existing series where um, typically it's Pastor Noel who is kind of primarily crafting the vision and delivering a higher percentage of the messages. Um, I think it really works well for me with him specifically, because we are very, very similar in the way we think about how to understand scripture and even just our approach to um, the text. And there's so many times as he's preaching that I'm like, man, that's kind of exactly how I would think about it. And so, and so, um, but I think Tony would agree for most of us being given a Bible passage is really the best way for us to be thrive as preachers. Um, when we're given topical stuff, it takes a lot longer to prepare those messages because we still have to go back and figure out, okay, where, what's, what Bible passage am I going to walk through? And we have to discipline ourselves to let the Bible t be the primary voice of authority rather than to try to make it say what we think the topic wants to say, if that makes sense. And so these four verses, you know, it's, it just, it says what it says. And so it takes us in a place, you know, to places and the conversations that we probably wouldn't choose ourselves. And I, I, I love that part of it. And so the, the art of kind of, you know, kind of weaving into those, uh, the sermon series as a whole, um, is much easier when we're just doing a book study of the Bible than when we're doing like topic after topic after topic for me, at least. So yeah, I would agree. And I think for me too, I, I always need to revisit the context. You know, every time I write a sermon, kind of like we parachute in and out of these, the timing of, of when we preach and, you know, who is the author, who did they write to, what was going on in the world, what was going on, where they were. And every time that you do that, it, it's just helpful to keep the entire letter in context as you're preparing a sermon. Cause it was a letter that was written from someone to actual people. And so I, and I agree with James having being given a text and I actually really love being given a couple of verses just to dive deep into, because you can just really extract all that the passage has for me, longer passages of scripture in 30 minutes. I'm always thinking, Oh, I, I can't, I don't have time to do all of it. And so I really appreciate just smaller chunks where we get to, to dive deep. So one of the things Noel talked about last week was second Corinthians is a book that a lot of times gets avoided, right? That he, when he was doing his study, there weren't as many commentaries that talked about second Corinthians. There weren't as many references. He couldn't find as many examples where churches, for example, would just tackle this particular book. And some of that may be because, uh, it's, there are some challenging topics in here, but I'm curious, just kind of overview what both of you think about as you were preparing, did you find that that was true? That it was, it was maybe harder to find other resources that were talking about second Corinthians. And if not, I'm just curious, like how you kind of approach that. Yeah. I never thought about it that way until Noel 
shared about that in his in the the opening sermon. And I would add, by the way, to your other question, I can never prepare um, the message for the coming week until I've heard the one from the previous week. And so that's the other kind of piece to it. I I can get it like kind of outlined and, you know, but there's usually something that Noel taps on or doesn't or whoever goes before me that I want to make sure that I dovetail with rather than sort of repeat or, you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I think, uh, cause I did, I wrote the study guide, um, or the journal that we were using with this series. So I've been through the whole book of second Corinthians and I was reflecting on that. I, the, the observation Noel made that there isn't, hasn't been as much study or commentary about, it. and it kind of makes sense. The, the book is a little odd, um, because, or the letter is because, it really does have a big chunk of it is kind of laser focused on Paul's own um, sort of being cast in a negative light by some folks in in Corinth. And and so it doesn't have sort of the layers of um, in some of his other later letters, he'll just verse after verse, just be hammering application and hammering, you know, theology. And this is much a different feel. There's a different vibe in the letter. So I think that that's part of why it doesn't grab people as like, oh, we ought to do second Corinthians. Um, but I think it's going to serve our folks. Well, I, I, I like that we're diving into it. I think it's, it's going to be really significant. So, um, which would be true of any, any piece of scripture that we look at. Yeah. And even in some of the research I did with the commentaries, I just, there's still great resources out there of theologians and, and people that have really committed their lives to it. And so there just maybe wasn't as vast of a range of kind of where those existed, but, um, yeah, definitely more I found in, in first Corinthians than I found in second. So now there was a little bit of controversy because last week, Noel wanted to be sure that I asked about in the journal, when we wrote the journal, uh, Pastor James, you talked about how most people believe that there are at least three letters, probably four or possibly four. Uh, and Noel went on record that he is a four letter person. That was actually how he described himself, right? That essentially that there was a letter that we don't have. Then there was first Corinthians, which is confusing because it's the second letter, but it's first Corinthians. And then that there was another letter that we don't have. And then there was a fourth letter that we call second Corinthians. And I just, I think we should go on the record and just be <laughs> clear what everyone th thinks. I have no idea. So I'm really depending on you guys. What do you guys think? Well, when you first of all, just to be clear, when Noel calls himself a four letter person, he's talking about his, his vocabulary, four letter words, or he's a four Corinthian letter. What are you talking That's about? That's a good point. I mean, his name has four letters. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I think he thinks Paul wrote four letters okay. to the Corinthians. I, I just want to make sure we know what we're talking about there. Yeah, because I think the other is probably true as well. Um, yeah, so what I wrote in the journal, most scholars believe he wrote at least three and possibly four. And so I, I just don't think we know. Um, and I am very confident there are three. And I think that's the consensus. And I think there's, I think it's 50-50. If I had to guess, I, there, I think there is other writings. I'm not sure if it's a full fourth letter. But I think there is, I think that, that there is some other writings in there and I think there's good evidence for that, but I wouldn't bet anything I cared about on that for sure. So that no. doesn't really end, end the controversy. No, it doesn't end. <laughs> I'm good. So now I have something to ask you. Tony, yeah. I need you on the record well, too. Well, maybe I should just 
throw a gas can on this fire. No, I'm just kidding. There's I, six, I really, there's <laughs> six of them. There are 17 letters. No, um, you know, I really don't know either. Um, you know, again, it's just many people smarter than me, better studied than me, <laughs> come to different conclusions. But, but I agree. I mean, definitely three. Um, but yeah, it's one day we'll know. And it's exciting that we're going to know in glory, but we probably won't until then. Well, it's also fascinating to think about, okay, what becomes scripture? That's like a whole study and yeah. just a whole fascinating process in and just the just the divine manner in which sort of we have the text that we have and we right. don't have the text that we don't have. Yeah, and I'm sure that it would be super interesting to read some of the things that didn't make it into the Bible that we don't have. But you're right, like the good the amazing thing about our faith is that we believe that it is sufficient, right? We don't have to worry about whether there was 17 of them or whatever. The ones that we have are the ones that we're supposed to have. doesn't mean it's not still interesting to sort of think about, and it can sometimes inform some of the confusing passages that are in, in these, in these books. So let's kind of dive into the things that you guys talked about. And I'm going to start with it, one of the, I really like the fact that when we have multiple teachers and I get, I listened to the messages today. I was joking that I listened to them at one and a half speed because you can do that in a podcast player. And I had to get through multiple messages. And if you are listening to the messages, I would recommend that you definitely listen to James at one and a half speed. And you definitely not listen to Tony <laughs> one and a half speed, just to be honest with you. Um, but uh, James, you talked about Tim Keller and one of the lines that really stuck out to me is uh the quote was suffering is meaningful, mm -hmm. right? And, and he went on and shortly after that, you, I don't know if you were continuing the same quote, but you said, you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I think that that's a really interesting thing for people to hear because it is hard in the midst of suffering to see that at some point there will be meaning in it. And I would just, first of all, I would love to hear, I don't know if you mentioned it in the message, so I apologize if I missed it, but what was the book from Tim Keller? And then talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the book that I mentioned, um, I, I believe the title is Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. So, and I actually, I had a uh, half dozen extra copies in my office, which I left at the info center, which quickly got grabbed up and a bunch of other people came back hoping to get one and we've mailed a couple out. So it did kind of catch just the couple of snippets from Tim's book that I mentioned. And even the fact that he ended up, I just wonder if he used his own book as he ended up walking with God through his own pain and suffering later on after, you know, seven, eight, nine years later. So I think that's, it's one of the hardest things, um, about affliction is, um, I think we have to be really, really careful not to make it seem like that the fact that um, God uses difficulty um, for his glory is like him tying it up into a neat package and putting a bow on it and that it's okay or that it makes the affliction less terrible, if that makes sense. It, it, I always think about it just from my own personal experience with trial and just suffering and and it's just, it's painful. And I think about it as it's kind of like there's two tracks, like on a railroad track. And on one is just, it's just when, you know, like with us, our, our son died and that's never going to not be terrible, no matter how God uses it. Or when folks go through a horrible divorce or when there's, um, 
like a lifelong physical ailment that people just suffer with. Or Paul even talks about the thorn in his flesh. There's just these things that are just painful and that's just true. And it's not like, man, see how God used that? Doesn't that make it okay? No, <laughs> but God did use it. You know what I mean? And he will. And, and he works all things for his glory, for the good of those who love him, who trust him. And at the same time, some of those things we would never, ever choose ourselves, nor should we. Um, and so um, it's kind of this weird paradox that, you know, kind of exists there that um, one of the worst things you could say to me or to Laura is anything like, yeah, but look at what God did. You know, and it's like, yeah, I don't think God needed our child to die in order to make this outcome happen. That that doesn't, that just doesn't seem, it certainly doesn't, isn't helpful to hear, even if that is true, <laughs> which I don't know, I, you know, it, it, and so there's, there's a, there's a, 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 um, a, a kind of a, it's a, it's just a, it's just a, a paradox that exists within affliction and suffering that we have to be careful with when we, when we teach about it and what is Paul saying? What's he not saying? You know what I mean? So. Well, and one of the things I appreciate every time I listen to you teach is that you aren't afraid to be like personal and talk about how this has affected sure. you. And actually Hezekiah, who uh, Hezekiah Trevino, who's our pastoral resident who taught at Rio, but couldn't be with us this afternoon as we recorded, he actually said something that I really wanted to highlight because at the beginning of his passage or the beginning of his message, he sort of looked back to verse seven where Paul writes, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. And and basically what Hezekiah said was like, wouldn't that have been a really great place to just end this letter, right? Like on a mm. positive note, yep, there'll be suffering, but by the way, there will be comfort. But he didn't, he leaned in sort of to that affliction that he had. And he used it as a, as a way of communicating a truth to the church at Corinth. And he, he didn't shy away from it. And I think that that's an important thing for us to to sort of reflect on because uh, last week uh, in Noel's message, you know, he, the, the passage of scripture he was covering was like, if we suffer it is for your comfort, if we are comforted it is for your comfort, like that there is a meaning to it. It doesn't mean that we're better off because of it, right? No one would argue that your family is better off because Luke isn't with you, mm -hmm. but that there is some kind of a meaning in it. And Tony, at the beginning of your message, you talked about writing in a journal. So mm -hmm. how are you doing? We're what? 16 days in, are you yeah. still writing? I am not writing every day, <laughs> so he did not but, know this question was coming. Yeah, no, Sorry, but, but but I am. Well, and it's been it's been really cool. I mean, getting this journal in this series was a great reminder to me when someone hands you something, you know, and says, "We really think this would be beneficial for your life." Um, you think about it, and then, hey, maybe I'll do that. So, getting this journal was a great reminder for me, but it also got me looking at the old journals too, and reflecting mm. on my life back when I was younger. And that was fascinating. Yeah. And one of the things you said, and that's why I sort of tied these together, is that you saw yourself processing things, that your the journal was a way for you to sort of process the why, mm -hmm. like why, why are bad things happening? Why, whatever it was that was happening to little Tony, like giving him yeah. sort of an outlet for it. And I think that that's like a universal thing that we have this need to understand why things are happening to us. Totally. Right. And and I don't know if that's the same as giving them meaning, but I would love to just sort of hear more about 
how you see Paul doing that in this passage. And I think I, I started with it just to kind of highlight what you said is just that universal human desire we have. And I think belief we have sometimes that peace will come with understanding, hmm. you know, and whereas in the scriptures we're promised a peace that surpasses understanding in Philippians four. But I think many of us, we just say, if I just knew why, or if I knew how this situation is going to end, then we convince ourselves, then, then, then I'll at least be able to deal with it. But it's the, really the uncertainty, you know? And I think too, um, for Paul, when he's reflecting on it, he doesn't get into the specifics of what he went through, but he does say it let this led us to not look inward, to not trust in ourselves, but it led us toward trusting God, which was a way I think that's a good result for anyone to be led away from a self-dependence and autonomy that we want into a deeper reliance on God, his presence, his sovereignty. And I think that's a way that Paul was communicating like, yeah, this, would we have chosen this? Probably not, but we were led away from ourselves and closer to our heavenly father. And that's a good thing. So I, I was really encouraged by Paul's reflection on that very early in this letter, because he's going to continue on with this theme a yeah. lot. Well, I would say also that was struck me as well, just that, and I said this in the sermon, that that's what we all say we want is to trust the Lord more. Right. Uh, but the sometimes we don't want the pathway yeah. that exists between here and there <laughs> is uh, it sometimes necessarily includes trials and suffering. And it's like, well, I'm not sure if I would have signed up for that, but it's interesting that, that Paul is basically make that's, that's, that's what all Christians say. Yeah. I want to, I mean, that's the definition. If, if we knew everything, no faith would be right. required. Faith is the assurance of things not seen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good journaling also does give us a bigger perspective. You know, we can look back and think, man, look at how I felt in this moment 11 years ago or seven years, you know what I mean? And now that I have a little bit of the bigger picture, sometimes it does help for me to be able to see, oh, man, this I was really seeing it this way. And now that I have more perspective on it, I can look back and go, look at how faithful God has been in this, uh, this situation as well. Yeah. And in my journal, I can look back and I even said this at the end of my sermon, like there's a lot of questions I asked that I can't look back on 20 years later and think, oh, that's the answer. Right. You know, I don't still have perfect clarity or understanding. However, I do have life experience and I do have the opportunity to look back and think that was a time where I could still see God's faithfulness amidst brokenness and hardship. And that's, I think, the real beauty of this kind of reflection is it gets it out of your head, it gets it out of your heart, <laughs> and it gets it somewhere where you can revisit it and be reminded of how God was caring for you in times of your life. Yeah, and it's interesting, as you were both explaining that, I think about how sort of countercultural that is, because for most people, Trust is a thing that they give very cautiously when they, like you said, feel like they can see the end result, right? Mm. I might trust a person who I have seen many, many, many times do the same thing, right? But if you're in the midst of suffering, it is very hard, I think, to often 
trust that it's going to work out or that this is for my good. In fact, in your message, you talked about like, sure, we all love it, Romans 8, where it talks about like that God works everything for the good of those who love him. And we just want to define what good means, right? Mm. And you said, and I love this, that sometimes good means discomfort, mm-hmm. right? I would love to just hear more about that because I think that goes against what the world thinks is good. And it also goes against like, why would I trust a God who would let me go through suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so. I am a person who loves comfort. <laughs> and so I live my life every day with that filter of like, what's going to make me comfortable, you know? And I think part of that is natural, but two, a lot of the discomfort we go through, we are not the, the one who is sovereign over all. And so that's, that's what I think the, when I was, what I was getting at with that quote or what I talked about there is this, you know, there's a lot of growth and reflection and goodness that can come when we are uncomfortable and, or when we really are, are caught thinking, okay, what do I really need here? Or, or another question I, I think I asked in my sermon was like, where's God trying to get your attention? Because I think a lot of the things that we want is we, I mean, we love being independent. We love that we don't need anybody that we can just kind of do what we need to do. And, and so, and that, that kind of life is not the kind of life that I think God would want for us. He wants us to be dependent upon him. And so that's where I think discomfort can often get our attention to, Hey, maybe these things I'm trusting in these things I'm living for these passions are actually replacing the greater passion of life with Christ and walking with him and his people. And so I think that's where discomfort can serve us in helping realign us with where we should be looking every yeah. day. I mean, yeah, just sacrificial serving of others right. is good and hard and uncomfortable. I mean, that's the gospel. That's the passage I shared on on Sunday in Isaiah 53. It says, by his wounds, we are healed. It's like this this series of statements that are like kind of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it says that um, this is the Lord's pleasure being accomplished. It's his, uh, and it's like, well, but his son is being afflicted in the most terrible ways. And yet this is, God was pleased mm-hmm. to offer this sacrifice on our, I mean, there, there is this twist in the gospel narrative, I, f- I find that to be really that, that this, at the heartbeat of the gospel is the most terrible of afflictions. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And Tony, I was thinking when you were talking just a second ago, when I was in college, I worked with a middle school youth ministry in a very wealthy subdivision or area of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And mm-hmm. one of the things, like one of the challenges wonderful people. But one of the challenges at that church was that those kids didn't need anything, mm. right? They had everything. They, they lived in big houses. They had, you know, parents who had successful jobs. They had every cool thing that they that they could need. All of their needs were met. And so in a lot of ways they didn't need God. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did until, but they, I mean, they right. needed yeah. God, but yeah. to them, it seemed like my life is fine. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, yeah, until, and I I feel like, and this is another thing Hezekiah brought up, so I'm going to just throw it in here as well, that there are two common ways that people tend to deal with affliction and suffering. One, 
Tony, you kind of talked about this, that you can become bitter, Mm -hmm. right? You can store up all that inside and try to just choose to not deal with it, not let it like not let on that you're having a hard time and you become bitter as a result, or it sort of becomes your identity and you become a victim, right? Those seem to be the two worldly ways that people deal with it. But Paul is certainly saying there's another way, right? When the until happens, there's a different way to be dealing with that. And I guess I'd just, I'd love to hear both of your perspectives on like, what is the core thesis that Paul wants, not just the church at Corinth to take away from these four verses, but also our, our Riverview family. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that kind of just this, the, that you've noticed that I am pretty open about sharing, you know, my own personal experience. So that's one of the thesis from Paul's, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction. So that's as Paul, as a leader, he's like, I want you all to know what we're going through, what we've been through. And so, um, you know, for, for me, I don't want anyone to think or to put on any kind of facade, you know, or paint the outside of, you know, so that everything seems like, Hey, I've got all these answers and got all this together or anything like that. Not just as I'm preaching, but just as the way it's just as a person, you know what I mean? Because that's just not true. And so I think that's one of the key postures that Paul models here. It's interesting that you brought up as well, sort of, cause that was the, the, the part that I, on Sunday afternoon, as I was like dozing off to sleep, I had some like, Oh, I should have said this kind of moments. And the main thing I wished I had said was if you're here in this room and you're not in a season of affliction and you've not been through one, um, this is going to be really good for you. And, th- and uh, first of all, we don't think you should go try to find one, but um, it's good for you to know what other people are going through. And it's good for you to think, how can I, as a person who has some freedom, has some space, has some margin in my life, whether it be physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it might be, Am I going to leverage those for myself or am I going to recognize that in this community, there's all kinds of needs, all kinds of ways that I can move toward people and choose my own discomfort for the sake of others. And so, um, cause we had several people come up and, and say, you know, I just, I almost feel bad hearing a message like this because I I've never been there. And, you know, there's still huge application for anybody in a community because as a community, we're dealing with significant affliction all the time. And it's an opportunity. There's times when I'm more equipped to be able to step into somebody else's affliction than, than time and times when I'm not as much so. So, right. And I think too, James, I totally agree with you that we're more apt to do that when we just live honest and transparent sure. lives, you know? And I think Paul's example all throughout the scripture is that he, he shared openly about what he went through and his struggles. And it's really refreshing. You know, I kind of talked about that in my sermon, how we tend to think that the Bible is filled with these superhero pillar kind of people. And I mean, God worked really powerfully through these people, but they were people, you know, like us, you know, and that's just really encouraging to me. So along with that, I do think that Paul's really wanting to share too, just about the sovereignty of God, that suffering is not meaningless. And so I, in, in my message, I talked about how, if that's kind of where, what we think suffering is, then it, all we're left with is hopelessness because man, I was dealt a very terrible hand, which then can lead to that affliction comparison of like, I cannot believe that person 
isn't afflicted like me and it causes that bitterness or that resentment toward others. But when you see it as there is a God who exists that is sovereign, that helps you rest in that this isn't meaningless, that maybe, or that no, that he is up to something uh, more than I can see. Mm. And that's an encouragement. It's interesting if you if you follow along on social media when there's discussions online about God and the existence of God and the the involvement of God in our world, almost always the first evidence people the the God denier kind of posture is well there's they're suffering so mm-hmm. they're obviously God isn't in control or He isn't good because otherwise this wouldn't be true, and so it's an opportunity for us to model. Um, trusting in the Lord and finding joy and purpose in those moments, but also authentically not minimizing and, you know, just kind of pretending like, oh yeah, this isn't really as bad as it seems because sometimes it is exactly as bad as it seems. So it's, again, there's, there's kind of a tension that exists there all the time, I think with this, with this topic for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and Paul even says we despaired of life itself. We felt like we had received the sentence of death but then he goes on and he says, but yet God who raises the dead, I feel like there's just like this interest. I think about Lazarus, right? In John chapter 11. And at the beginning when the sisters come to Jesus, I mean, like literally <laughs> yeah. when they go to <laughs> Jesus and he says, this sickness will not end in death. And then he goes on and he says, yet it is for God's glory, right? That God will be glorified through it. And they, if they thought that meant like, oh, cool, Lazarus isn't going to die, right? He's going to, he's going to live. So like we're, we're good, but that's not what happened. He did die. And yet the point of the story, and I think Noel mentioned this in his message last year is like, if you're suffering, what that really means is it's not over. The story's not over yet, right? God Mm -hmm. won't leave you there, right? It has meaning. And yet the suffering has like, God doesn't desire for anyone to suffer. He didn't desire for Mary and Martha to suffer for Lazarus to suffer. The fact that he died just meant that Lazarus's story wasn't over yet. And that they got to see a miracle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of times we just, like you said, we give up too soon, right? People, we look at it and like, well, if there's suffering, then the things that we believe about God must not be true. Right. And I feel like what you're saying is actually the opposite is the case. And Paul wants us to understand that there will be times in life where you despair of life. And yet just remember that even when you feel like you're at that worst moment, the God who loves you can raise the dead. Yeah. So as we kind of close, you mentioned James, something that you didn't get to say in the message. Is there anything else that as you were reflecting, you're like, Oh, I really wish I would have said that. And I, and I would love to hear that from Tony too. That this is kind of like the last question I really like asking. Cause it's like the director, like what didn't you say that you would have liked? To that would have been the main thing. What I said earlier, just this idea of, um, there's going to be a good percentage of people in the room who are not in a season of affliction and maybe have never endured one. And, um, I would just encourage those folks um, to consider how uh, we're part of the body of Christ. And so when one is afflicted, we are afflicted. And just because you're not personally going through something doesn't mean you aren't as part of the body of Christ. And um, that same thing goes true is true with persecution. You know, we might be not be experiencing persecution in our own personal lives, there's more persecution happening in the church worldwide right now than maybe at any other time in history. And so we are being persecuted. 
I might not be personally experienced. You know what I mean? So I think suffering and affliction kind of works the same way. And so, okay, am I going to take this season um, where hey, maybe things are just rolling for me? You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, I'm just hitting my stride and everything. And there's, there isn't sort of that until happening. There isn't that interruption happening. Am I going to use that to just sort of for myself or am I going to, you know, leverage that time to step into, to the world of other people and, and, and be present with them in whatever they're going through. Yeah. And for me, um, totally agree with that. And I think mine is actually similar because so much of my sermon was about the afflicted, you know, like what, and, but like James, like you're saying, there's going to be seasons where affliction comes our way and we, we need to be ready, but there is also going to be seasons when affliction is going to come to a fellow believer, uh, a fellow brother or sister in Christ. And one of the greatest gifts that person's going to receive is, is us next to them, to sit with them, uh, to pray with them, to be with them, to, you know, and I think that that's a unique opportunity that we have to share in the suffering with others. And we don't do so, um, comparing or thinking this isn't like what I went through or we don't do that. We, we do that. We, what we do is we, Hey, they need somebody and, and, and they, you know what, maybe I could go and just be with them and sit with them. And I don't have the right words to say, but you know what? They don't need it. Uh, just your presence and so, your prayers and Paul your prayers. Prayer we helps. see that too. Yeah. Yep. And so I, you know, I think for me, that was one thing I think I would have, um, I would have wanted to expand on a little bit more of just the, how do you care for those in that state of affliction or suffering? Um, but I, I, you know, I'm hopeful that we're going to see that more later on in this letter a little bit, but, and two, it kind of go to go back to the very beginning of this conversation. Like one thing I'm just, I'm grateful for is that we go through books of the Bible that we don't uh, like, you know, this isn't a fun topic, <laughs> but you know, life's not always fun. And, you know, this is something where, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak for James, but for me, I, I mean, I think this would connect with James too, is like, we want our sermons to be helpful and, and we want to open the word of God and, and explain what it means. And by going through books, it's, you don't really have that choice. It's like, nope, this, in, in this weekend, we were talking about suffering because it was in second Corinthians. And so our hope is that these messages were helpful, but we're trusting that, you know, our time in this book over the next six months is going to be really meaningful for us as a church. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really good place to leave this conversation. I just want to highlight a thing, Tony, that you said, and also make sure to give some credit to James, because I do think that although Riv does books like this quite like that is the way that we generally approach these things for people who are newer to Riv, I think it's really good to see pastors and over a long period of time wrestling with those little passages because that's how we, you're teaching us how to study, right? You're not just teaching us what this passage says. You're also helping us to work through an entire book of the Bible and understand the context and understand the characters and understand the message that's happening. So, and I feel like the reason I wanted to make sure to give James a shout out is that journal is such a great resource for mm -hmm. that, for people. And I, and I actually love how, I think Tony, you said to people in your message, you can go to this spot in the Bible or you can just turn to page eight because it's in the journal and that's where that scripture passage is. And it's such a great resource. So, so first of all, thank you, James, for doing that, for putting all that effort in. And thanks to everyone who's listened so far today. Uh, I will make sure that there are links to both Tony and James's messages so that you can listen to them. And we hope that you'll join us again next week.